The following is a sermon from Faith Troy, a church located in Troy, Michigan. For more information and more audio and video content, go to www.faithtroy.org. I have to be honest, I'm, I'm a little bit nervous about this morning. A man talking about God's design for women, what, what could go wrong, right? But we're, we're going to dive into this topic about femininity, about womanhood, about God's design. Um, and so if you could open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 2, which is just on page 4. So just pit, flip a couple pages past the table of contents and you'll be right there. And we're going to spend some time in that section of scripture. Today we are in the last week of our sermon series, Happily Ever After. And throughout the series, we've been talking about how has God designed marriage and what does the scripture teach us about marriage, about the relationship between husband and wife, what are the things that we can learn, what are the things that we can apply and wrestle with. And so we've talked about hopes and dreams and God's design and expectations and how how that all plays out in our marriage. Last week, we talked about this idea of masculinity and helped ourselves define what does it mean for men to act like men. To trust not in their masculinity, but to trust in Jesus and therefore to bring that into their relationships. This week we talk then about femininity. What does it mean for women to be women? How has God designed it? And so the, 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 the good thing for, for, for you as, as we talk about this, if you have struggled in the series and have thought, all right, well, maybe, uh, maybe some of you aren't married. Maybe some of you don't see yourself as maybe married. Maybe you were married, but you're not married. Um, the value when we talk about men and women is, is this is going to apply into all different spheres of life, right? Because, because you work with the opposite sex, and regardless of where, where, what your situation is, right, you can, the better you understand yourself and how God created you, you in school and work and family and your community and the way you got a better understand how God has created other people in school and work and family and your community, the better our world will be. And, be, and the reason this is in a marriage series as we talk about happily ever after is because this especially is important when we understand how husbands and wife relate to one another and how they help lead each other and how they work together based on God's design. And so today we're going to dig into Genesis in order to unpack this, in order to unpack femininity and what the scripture teaches. Now, the challenge with this, like last week, our culture has a lot to say about this topic. And so the challenge is when we talk about, about these kind of subjects is it can be, it can be tense, it, it tense, it can be polarizing, it, be, can, it can be difficult. And so our tendency can be, all right, let's avoid that conversation. Let's not talk about that conversation. But the problem is, is if we avoid the conversation and we lack clarity on what God has designed, People will come to their own conclusions and they will create their own kind of expectations and their own kind of definitions about what it actually means. And so when that happens with masculinity, when that happens with femininity, it creates a problem. And so I want you to think about some of the expectations that we could hear that some some of you women might even have experienced. Think about some of the things. Women, maybe women should be stay-at-home moms. Women should be moms, but they should continue to invest in their careers, which is kind of challenging if you hear both of those expectations, right? Women should be at stay-at-home moms. Women should invest in their careers. If a woman becomes a mom, she should be a certain kind of mom. She should feed her kids certain things. She should never dare be seen in the drive-thru at McDonald's, right? She should, she should, she should 
take care of our kids. Our kids should wear certain things. And women should look a certain way. Women should be leaders. Women should be vocal, but not too vocal. Women should be brave and strong and courageous. Women should be modest, but they also shouldn't be ashamed of their bodies. Women should, but while they're not ashamed of their bodies, they also shouldn't be too tall, too skinny, too short, too big. They should eat all the right things, but they should only eat all the right things for all the right reasons. And not only is that, like, like we could give a thousand different expectations, but you, you know what really even adds to that? Our world has a thousand different expectations, but, but women, I, I, think, I think this is true of you. Isn't there also this little voice inside? And so if that wasn't enough, then you hear that voice inside you that's telling you, all right, well, you're not mom enough, you're not woman enough, you're not wife enough, that you, are, you, don't, you continually don't measure up. And so what happens is there is this exhausting treadmill of performance because there are all these expectations and all of these things that are said to you and you, and you can't measure up to all these things. And so what do you, what do, you do? See, think about the things that, that stop you when, you're, when you are on Facebook or Instagram, the things that stop your scroll. What are the messages that they preach to you about what you should look, how you should act, what you should do? the kind of person you are. Everywhere we turn, our world is preaching to women. And in some ways, that can be exciting because some of the opportunities, uh, some of the opportunities we have in our world today are different than they were even generations ago. And so some of that can be a good thing. Some of that can be a valuable thing. Some of the opportunities my daughters will have is different, and so that's good. Yet at the same time, alongside of these new opportunities become new expectations, and new weights, and new burdens. And so the challenge that gets created is women often get a bad definition of womanhood. And so the definition becomes these superficial things, these expectations, these expectations on how you look, how you act, what you say, what you do. And alongside that bad definition comes the the reality that women get crushed by the expectations of that definition. And so it's this burden, it's this weight, and it's exhausting. And so what do we do? What do we do with this reality that the definitions that our world will give, the definitions that, that, that we are faced with every single day, create this burden that no one can live up to? Right? Understand this. That's the expectation of womanhood. No one lives up to it. No one meets the picture. And so then what do we do? Like, what, what do we do then for our girls? What do we do, husbands, for our wives? What, what do we do with that reality? And so the thing that I think can help is we can, we, can re, we can redefine for us what does it mean for a woman to be a woman? What, what if we get to the heart of it? What if we get some clarity around that which really matters? And so it might ignore some of the, 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 the superficial things, the generalized kind of things, but what if we get really to the heart of how God has designed it? Because maybe that would recenter us and help us better understand who does God say you are? And how has God designed and shaped you? What are, the, what are the, the feelings that you have inside of you that are because God created you that way? And so I want to give a definition for us to work with as we talk about this. And, and so if you, if you are new to church, or if you've had some baggage in the church because of the way people have maybe talked about women, or just what, the way you've even perceived some of these conversations, I just want to give a caveat that some of this definition might be a little bit difficult for you, 
Um, but what, but, and so I'm just going to ask that you give me a little bit of time because we're going to work through this definition together and where it comes from the, from the text, and I think it will help. Um, and so I know I don't, haven't probably earned your trust, but I'm just asking that you're going to you give that to me a little bit as we work through this definition together. So the definition that we're going to work through is this. God created women to help so that weakness doesn't win. God created women to help so that weakness doesn't win. And so the place we get this from is from Genesis chapter 2. And so I'm going to begin in verse 18 and we'll begin to see where this idea comes from. It says this, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up that place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. Several weeks ago, I got a chance to read this section of scripture with my daughter. She asked this brilliant theological, scientific question, which ended up leading us into this text. And so she was asking the question. She, she understands, right, babies are, come out of their mom's tummies. And so she, she asked this question, well, if babies are born in their mom's tummies, where did the first people come from? Which, which my mind was blown right away by that question, which is probably part theological and scientific and other part, I don't want to go to bed yet. And so she asked the question, and so my response is, well, well let's, let's go to Genesis 2. Let's see, what, let's see what the Bible has to say about that. And so we read God creating humanity, God creating Adam, God creating Eve. And when we got to this section of Scripture, I just loved the picture um, of my daughter in this. And it's bedtime, so she's, she's trying to be quiet. But we are reading, and Adam falls asleep, and God's creating Eve. And she's like fist-pumping and cheering, like, yes, girls, I love girls, yes. And the, re- the reason I share that is because when you talk about womanhood and femininity and God's design, I don't know what it's like to be a woman in, in today's world. I, I don't know those challenges. I haven't experienced those challenges. I haven't, I, I haven't I've been afforded different opportunities. And, and so I can't speak from that place. But the place I do speak from is my daughter who's cheering on, yes, girls showed up. Because this is deeply important to me because I have two little girls. And I want my little girls to grow up in a world where they can flourish into the kind of people that God wants them to be. This matters deeply to me because I have an incredible wife. And I so desperately want for her not to be crushed by the expectations of this world, but to flourish into the person that God made her to be. And so I can't speak from experience, but I can speak as a husband and a dad of something that is so, so important for our world. And so God creates humanity. And what I love in the creation story, what we find is God creates things. And and over and over you get this refrain of it's good. So God creates the heavens and the earth, and it's good. And God creates the plants and the trees and the mountains, and God says, it's good. God create, starts to create the animals, the birds, it's good. Or the, the, the birds, the fish, 
all the animals. He says, it's good. And then God creates Adam and he says, eh, I could do better. <laughs> and so it's so fascinating, though, that God has this refrain over and over and over. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. It's not good for man to be alone. That man alone was an incomplete reflection of who God is. That both are important. And so then the text tells us, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this is the section of scripture that can be really challenging for, for some of you. And so I want, I want to point this out. Some of you have no idea even why this could be difficult for some people. And, and for you, that's, that's great. That means you've had a good church experience. And you've had people who've taught you the scriptures well. But that's not the case for everybody. And so last week when we talked about men needing to act like men... The men who don't know how to act like men, right, men who are boys, they will twist and manipulate and abuse this because they don't have the power they think they are entitled to. But this is not what God has in mind when he says, I will make a helper suitable for him. See, for whatever reason, we, we often think of this word helper as like less than. And so you have the CEO, but... Everybody else is just not quite as important as the CEO. They're the assistant. The assistant to the man. They're, they're just not as important. Or even, like, I'll use the word helper to describe my kids, right? And so I need, I need to do something. So, oh, come along. Come be daddy's helper. Right? And so this word helper can feel demeaning. It can feel less important. It can feel weak. But this word helper is so important. The word helper in Hebrew is the word ezer. And I don't always like to point out the, the Hebrew, the original language, because I don't want you to feel like you can't read the Bible on your own and just figure out what it means. But the, word, the reason the Hebrew is important here is we can also figure out where else is this word used in the Bible. Because if we understand that, what we'll find is that this word helper is not a less than second class design. It's a, a strong, important role. Psalm 33 uses the same word helper and it says it this way, we wait and hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. See, the, t the most frequent way this word helper is used in the scriptures is to describe God. Right, so if we think this, is, is this word helper is describing authority or power or strength, then we need to think about it differently because this word is, but it's describing the fact that helpers are strong and powerful and so it describes, it describes God. God is our helper. He's our shield, which is protecting, is fighting, is on the front line. In the book of Exodus, Moses writes the same, the same word. He says, my father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. Or think about what we know about Moses. Moses is scared. He's terrified. When he goes to Pharaoh, he doesn't even know how to get the words out. Right? He can't talk. He can't do it on his own. He has no idea how he's supposed to lead the people out of slavery. And so when he says that God is my helper, he's saying, I can't do it on my own. I needed God's strength and I needed God's power. I needed God to show up because I was weak. That's what the word helper means in the scripture. If you're still struggling, think, think about it this way, because we will occasionally use the word the same kind of way in our world. So if I need to go get my car fixed, I will call somebody for help. 
And the reason I call them to help is not because I'm strong and want a sidekick. No, the reason I call somebody for help is because I'm weak and I don't know what to do. And so I find somebody who knows what to do. I find somebody who has the strength and the ability to do what I can't. When I don't have an answer to something and and so I call up somebody and say, hey, what would you do in this situation? It's not because I'm strong. It's because I need somebody who's strong to help me. See, the weak aren't the helpers. The helpers are strong. This is the way that God designed woman. To help. Not because she's weak, but because she's strong. Because she brings something different. That is desperately needed in our world. And so the text says, I will make a helper suitable for him. Now this other word that can get us, we can get hung up on is the word suitable. Now some of the, sometimes we'll twist this word suitable and we think of it kind of in a fairy tale soulmate idea. That, 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 there's this, that this is the one. Or this is not what the scripture is going after when it uses the word suitable. This is not a, a Jerry Maguire, you complete me kind of scene. The word suitable here means like opposite, which simply is to say that man and woman were created for different purposes and with a different design, and they work together because things that are opposite complement each other. They make each other stronger. And so what suitable does, suitable doesn't mean incomplete, which is important because, because some of you have been told that if you're not married, somehow you're less than whole. That it's, just, that it's just not enough, which is not what this scripture is saying. It is, it is saying that man alone is insufficient. It is saying that woman alone is insufficient, but it is not saying that you, if you are not married, is less than. It simply means that men and women need each other in our world. And so we need church with the giftings of men and women who together do more than they can apart. In our home, we need the gifts and the strength of men and women. It's better for our marriage. It's better for our kids. In your neighborhood, in your schools, you need men and women together. See, the strength of women brings something that the man doesn't. And now that's not a slam on man. That's, that's not what this is saying. It's simply saying that if women are created like opposite, that means the strength of a woman brings something different. Something that complements the strength of a man. And so the strength of a mother who's caring for her child is doing something that the, that, that the man can't. And so as she cares for her child, it brings something different for her child. The strength of a woman who leads, the strength of a woman who, who is an entrepreneur in her community, the strength of a woman as a CEO who's leading a team, it brings something different. Not better, different. And so here's the challenge, because I think this is true not just in the church, but, but in our world. See, often when we talk about what we want for women in the world, is sometimes we'll even say, all right, we need women who lead, but often what, what the world means It means we need women who can act like men so they can be in leadership. But that is not what Genesis 2 is describing, is it? Genesis 2 is describing men and women are are like opposite, so they complement each other. And so we need men and women who who God created them to be. 
Because it brings something different. It brings different value and different strength. And we need it together. See, God created women to help so that weakness doesn't win. To use their strengths to be who God created them to be. So I want to think about there's three different scenarios that we can talk about when it comes to weakness and how weakness wins in our world. The first is that weakness wins when no one asks for help. See, if we fail to recognize the need, weakness will win. If we're ignorant of the need or the strengths of somebody else, weakness will win. If we are too prideful to believe that somebody else can bring something that we can't, weakness wins. And this is not just about men and women. It can be for all people, right? We need to recognize the need that other people can do something that we can't. And so men, do you see the need in your workplace, in your community, in your home? Do you see the need for the strength of the women who are in your life? Women, do you see the need for other women and the strengths and the gifts that God has given them. When you understand what's at stake, you will look for someone to help. If you realize what's on the line for your family, if you understand what's on the line in this world, you will look for help. Because when you go into battle, no one wants to go to battle alone. You'll find reinforcements. Because together you can do more than a part. And think, think about it. If, last week if we talked about men, and we want men who act like men and are strong. And today we talk about women who are designed to be helpers, which is also a position of strength. Imagine the difference our world would be if we have strong men and strong women who work together in the places where God has placed them. Imagine the impact that has on our world for, for all of the people who are crying out for help, for all the people who are in need, for all of our young boys and girls in the kind of world they grow up in. Now the second scenario when weakness wins, weakness also wins when no one is willing to help. Because they can't just be recognizing a need, but we need people to actually meet the need. People need to show up, people need to be present, people need to say, all right, there's the need and I can help meet that need which takes time, which takes energy, which takes commitment. And so women, you have an incredible opportunity to use your strengths so that weakness doesn't win. Because without women, we will have weak homes, we'll have weak churches, we'll have weak communities, we will have weak workplaces. The, your strength make those places better. And so as a mom or as a wife in your home, your strength will help your home be stronger. It will help your boys become better boys and your girls become better boys. As a wife, your strength helps your husband become the man who God wants him to be. In your workplace, your strength can help your coworkers and your employees become better people and better serve people. In your schools, your strength helps your schools become better places, places that help the people around them, places that better care for people. And in your neighborhood, your strengths make your community better. We need men and women who use their gifts 
men who are striving to be godly men alongside of women who are striving to be godly women. Now, the third scenario when weakness wins, weakness wins when the wrong person helps. And this is important to understand, too, because what can happen, especially if God has designed you to be a helper, you can begin to have this sense of, all right, all right, all right, I need to do something. I need to step up. I need to help. But what you also need to then be able to understand is, all right, where has God called me to help? Where has God gifted me? Where has God sent me and placed me to help? Because although there might be a need for for somebody to speak, if you're not gifted to speak, then you don't have to. If you're not gifted to teach, you don't need to teach. If you're not gifted to start the business, you don't have to start the business. If you're not gifted to be the stay-at-home mom, you don't have to be that. And so the question is, where has God called you to use your strength? Because you using your strength means it's your strength, not somebody else's. You use your gifts, not somebody else's. You become the person God has created you to be, not who God created somebody else to be. And so where has God called you to use your strength? Now, some of those places can be pretty objective. You, you, you can learn pretty quickly if God has called you to use your strength in your marriage. Because if you are married, you have. Because the moment you said, I do, that person became the one. And so you can know very quickly, has God called me to use my strength in my marriage? The answer is, if you're married, yes, absolutely. And so the question then becomes, how do, how do, you, how do you use your strengths to help strengthen your marriage? Do you have kids? If so, then you are called to use your strengths to help your kids, to help grow your kids, to help your kids become who God has created them to be. In your workplace, right, in your job, you are certainly called to use your strengths in that place. Whether, it's, whether that's going to be where you are for a long time or whether this is just a season, you are called to use your strengths in that place. And then there are also the strengths and the passions and the, and the things where you have this growing sense because you have this desire of, I, I, I want to help, I want to do this, I want to start this, I want to reach these people. What, what are those passions? To create, to start, to lead. God has given those to you because our world needs them. Our world needs you using your gifts to strengthen and help people. Now the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians writes some incredible words about strength and weakness, which I think can help us when we, when, when we think about how God has created men and how God has created women. And, and Paul writes it this way. He says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. All right, think about the significance of that. Because if you think about the expectations that the world has for you and you feel like, all right, I'm not good enough to measure up to those. You think about the expectations that you have for yourself and you continually feel like you can't measure up to those. We, you even look at, all right, what does the scripture say that God has designed for you? What does God, the scripture say about how you should bring your strengths into your family, into your home, into your community, into your world? And there can be this growing sense of, I don't know if I've got that. I don't know if I can do that. There can even be this sense of guilt of, I should have done that, but I haven't done that. Or I want to do that. 
but I've made some of the wrong choices. I've done the wrong things. And sin can give us this sense of, I don't know if I'm sufficient in being that kind of person. And what Paul says is, my grace is sufficient for you. Not your performance, not your ability to live up to those expectations, but the work of Jesus is sufficient for you. It's enough. And so you might not feel like you're enough. You might not feel like you've done enough or could become enough. But Paul says Jesus is enough. And he says his power is made perfect in weakness. That it's in that very place where you feel desperate, where you feel a failure, where you feel like you have dropped the ball. It's in that place where Jesus himself shows up. And his power is what makes you strong. His power makes you strong, not your performance. His power makes you strong, not your ability. And so it's depending on that strength, that power that comes from the death and resurrection of Jesus, that power that comes from Christ doing what no one could do. It's that power that makes you strong. Right? Think, think about what Jesus actually does. Jesus recognizes the need. And because Jesus recognizes the need, weakness won't win. He sees the need, and he sees that there is a sinful, broken world. There's a broken, hurting, desperate, suffering world. And so Jesus responds. He not only sees the need, but he makes himself available, and Jesus comes. He lives. He preaches. He does incredible miracles. And not only does he do those things, not only is he present, but he also does what no one else could do. He does what only he has been called to do, and he gives him life as a sacrifice. He dies, he rises again. And it's that power which is made perfect in weakness. Jesus does what none of us can do on our own. He helps, he sees the need, he responds, and he gives of himself. And so when we cry out for help like a kid cries out for his mom, when we cry out for forgiveness and mercy, when we cry out for someone to save us, Jesus helps. Jesus reaches out his hand and gives of himself to us. Jesus responds with the power of his death and resurrection. Which is why Paul can then say, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Because it's in those weakest places where we see the power of God most evident. Because that's where God shows up. And it's because of that, that for any one of you who has witnessed an amazing woman in your life, whether that be somebody you work with, whether that be a parent or a spouse. When you see an amazing woman who helps, what you see is a reflection of God himself. God who responds with strength and power to help those who are weak. And because Jesus does that for each and every one of us, he makes us strong. And because Jesus does that for you women, he makes you strong even when you feel like you're weak. Let me, prepare, let me pray for us, and then we will prepare our hearts to celebrate Lord's Supper. Jesus, we thank you that you are a helping God. 
that you are a God who sees the need and who responds to our need, who hears our cry for help. We thank you that you show up, that you listen, that you care, that you hear. And so, God, we come before you as your children crying out to you, God, help us. God, forgive us. Strengthen us. God, we ask that you would show up in those weak places, the places where we feel like we're not enough, where we're not good enough, where we're not strong enough, where we don't do enough. And we ask that you remind us who you say that we are. And so Jesus, we, as we're honest about those weak places, as we're honest about our own sin, we pray that you would hear us, that you would hear us now as we personally and quietly confess these things to you. The promise of Jesus is that he hears you. He hears your weakness. He hears your struggle. He hears your doubt. He hears your insecurity. And he responds to you and says, he is enough. His strength is enough. His power is enough. His body, his blood is enough for you. And because Jesus is enough, I can share with you his words to each and every one of you this morning. Your sins are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.